Blog Talk Radio.
judgment comes upon the law. No time to waste, run to the cross. Drunk old lies of this age. Feels too smart to believe. Trade their future for the lust. Blindly passing, they call you to join them. Fall into the order that Satan has designed. Men getting ready to sell their soul for a chance to receive his mark. Father God, we just praise you and we thank you always, always praising you no matter what, through the thick, through the thin, through the difficult, through the tribulations, through the trials, through the health issues, whatever it is that we're going through, even if it's a period of joy. Father, no matter what it is, we lift you up and magnify your name. We, 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 uh, I hope in Jesus' name that we raise our holy hands before you. And we just give you all the glory, Father, because there is not enough. I know we got to go through a lot of ugly, but Father, I just praise your name. And I thank you for every day that you bring us through it. I thank you for every day that that we have an opportunity to be able to lay hands on somebody and to believe with all of our heart that you're going to heal them, whether it's a miracle healing or whether it's a healing that happens over time through faith. Father, we just praise you for the every every opportunity that we have to be able to share as an electronic ecclesia across the world. Um, uh, pearls, beautiful, glorious, and I do mean glorified pearls of wisdom that come only from your throne room and have such wonderful guests, uh, so many that have been blessed in amazing ways and turn around and as they ought, bless others uh, that are part of the kingdom and, and part of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we, we just thank you for everything that we've been able to do we praise you for i praise you for my job as is uh you know difficult as that can be and stressful as that can be clearly for a lot of us i praise you for it father uh you know you know my heart and you know sometimes i just want to run away to a little cabin some somewhere which i you know way up north where i can't eat, afford to heat it and don't have the strength to cut down the trees to <laughs> burn the wood but father you know we all dream and we're all dreaming to be in your presence oh we're lord jesus we're dreaming at the moment that we can stand before you we pray that luke 21 36 in the mighty name of the lord jesus is true for all of us that we will pray always to be found worthy to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand before you not to just be out in the in the uh in the uh, uh country mansion area but to actually be allowed to come into the mount zion 
and to be able to stand in your presence in Mount Zion. And we just pray in the name of Jesus, Father, in that heaven, heavenly Jerusalem that is spoken of in, in Hebrews uh, 12, 22. We want to be there. We want to be in your presence. But at the same time, we don't want to miss. We don't want to miss any opportunity that you have given us to be able to serve you in the days that we have now and ahead of us. And we pray for your strength. We pray for a supernatural anointing to break down any strongholds, anything in our lives that need to be corrected, any course correction, any any purity issues, any thought issues that uh, plague us, perhaps. We just pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, we confess that we are sinners. We confess that we are not perfect. And we ask you, Father, please, in Jesus' name, to continue to work with us through your mercy. We're asking for a special anointing to overcome things in our lives that we may be having difficulty with, whatever they may be. And we pray that you will find us worthy, not just worthy to escape all these things, but also worthy to be part of the barley harvest to leave in the first iteration of the rescue missions. And we know that that time is very close and upon us and probably not for a little while yet, but nevertheless, father, we just give you all the praise and honor, help us to be strong, strengthen us. If we are weak, lift us up, hold our hands, walk us through the jungly, the scary places, the, 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 the uh, valley of the shadow of death, father, in Jesus name, we pray. And now to him, our Lord Jesus, who is able to keep us from, stumbling and present us faultless someday before the presence of you, Father God, with exceeding joy. And to you, Father, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. God, thank you, Jesus. Here we are in the end of 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 times. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. How far into the end of times? Nobody quite knows for sure. 
Well, what I do believe, and I've said it many times, and I'll continue to uh, to to beat this point out there, uh, you know, through the microphone as best as I possibly can, uh, is that I believe, uh, powerfully believe that, um, and I could be wrong, I know that, uh, but I powerfully believe at this time, um, barring any amendments from the throne room that, you know, find their way to me in some form or another, uh, that uh, we are uh, well into the seals, okay, of Revelation, which would be Revelation chapter 6. We are, uh, you know, we the red horse is, you know, the red army, the red horse. I believe that with all of my heart. Uh, I believe that the second seal is in progress. Now, of course, what we do have absolutely no information of regarding, you know, biblically speaking, is how long does any one of the seals take to, or are any of the seals ever, do they ever come doing it? Um, you know, uh, you know, or do they, you know, I mean, you know, there's just no, no way to tell where, when they end. You know, we, we we see that you've got the red horse, you've got the black horse. We know those are both in progress. The black horse is – it's just amazing to me. I mean, this this ought to just fry a person's mind. And for any church or churchianity or form of churchianity that is out there that is not talking about this stuff openly with their constituency and their congregants, uh, shame on them. You know, uh, you know, flat out shame on them. I don't I don't find that thing. You know, it, it, there's no you know, not talking about it is not OK. OK, uh, but, you know, you can always head hedge your your point and say, well, I could be wrong, but it sort of kind of looks a little bit to me that we might be in the blankety blank, blank, blank. And here's why. But then also just tell the people, you know, your, your congregants or whatever, just say, but I could be wrong. I realize that I could be wrong. You know, this is this is God's movie. We are all part of it. Uh, I you know, you pick up things along your walk, along your journey along your hopefully your sanctification journey uh and uh, some of us listen to prophecy dreams and visions some of us do not listen to prophecy dreams and visions um you know and i'm not gonna you know i don't want it to sound impeaching or in any way negative but there and i won't name the names but i can tell you that we do bring people on the program and they will flat out tell me straight up on the phone i do not care what anybody that claims to have the gift of prophecy hasn't has to say Okay, they they're flat out against it. They they I guess they've been burned too many times, and they just decided, well, I'm not gonna you know listen to them anymore. All right, praise God. And unfortunately, uh, I can try one more time. I wanted to bring up my PC Study Bible, uh, but uh, it's not coming up, which happens sometimes. It's a pretty old application, and it uh, it you know it just. Uh, it can get a little finicky sometimes. So let me just go ahead and end the task. Okay, it said it ended it. All right, praise God. Let me see if I can bring it up one more time. Sometimes I get, you know, blessed, and it just suddenly works the second time I bring it up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, and it always gets stuck on the pulpit comment, the pulpit commentary for use. So, yeah, it's it's made its mind up that it's not going to play fairly tonight. So, anyway, that's okay. Praise Jesus. What I wanted to do, let me just go ahead and uh, get rid of it and dump it um, uh, and go ahead over to my backup. Hold on just a second. End task. All right. Here we go. And I'm going to oh, hold on. Let me now I got to focus on my eyes. Oh, there we go. My olive tree is my backup. All right. Praise God. Uh, and that has to take a few seconds. But I just want to review because I just think I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I have some audio that I want to play that's so it's just so important. It's just oh, my gosh. If I don't give one news report, 
that's how important this audio is, I think. Um, but anyway, let me just go ahead and say Revelation 6 and see if it takes me to there, which it does. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm trying to see which one. I don't use the uh, – I love – don't get me wrong. I love the Olive Tree, the whole package, the the mobile, the desktop version. They all go together. You can even – if you have like 10 or 15 uh, translations of the Bible uh, with the Olive Tree version, you can click – as long as your finger is touching the verse number. Okay, so if you're in Revelation 6 and you type the number, you know, you touch the number 2, and it highlights that verse by virtue of you touching the number 2, what's neat is when you highlight that verse or put a note there or both, that highlighting in that note carries over to every other translation automatically. Now, that is a feature that I just totally dig. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But anyway, this is um, out of the New King James, um, and I'm not going to get into that stuff. I, most, most listeners of the show know that I, how I feel about translations in general. In general. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, but how amazing is this? I mean, I'm not even, you know, I know a lot of people will be like, I've had this happen to me. They'll be like, well, you need to tell me what's going on. Who's the first seal? Don't be talking about the second seal until you explain the first you know what look that's that's an example of having really bad critical thinking skills if we spend all our time struggling with that which we don't know for sure we can hypothesize we can guess but if we waste our time what you do to conquer complex things what you do with critical thinking skills is you Identify known goods, okay? When I was troubleshooting uh, exceedingly complex uh, computer boards uh, using a Fluke 3040 station and uh, very high-tech stuff, I mean, it, you know, Star Trek stuff, right? And you need to understand the concept of a known good module, a KGM, okay? When you can – so you use the process of elimination, okay? You identify that which you can identify, and you don't get your a bee in your bonnet over that which you're not absolutely certain of. Some people seem to think they, I don't know why they think that way, but they just think, oh no, 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 you got to do one before you can do two. You got to do two. No, you can back into it. You can completely. You, that you what you want to do is you want to use when you're do, doing your biblical exegesis, whatever you want to call it. Okay, ripping the scripture apart and 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 figuring out what comes first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and all that kind of stuff, and and taking prophecies, dreams, and visions and mapping them over to scripture scriptures so that you can kind of line things up and know what you know. Get some congruency associated with your understanding of of things. Okay, then, but but anyway, uh, without going into all the different analytical methods, the most straightforward, the most, the one that bears the most fruit, clearly, is when you identify that which you can identify. Okay, process of elimination, and by virtue of the process of elimination and identifying the KGMs, the known good, in, in the electronics world, it's known as a KGM or a known good module. When you know that, when you know what you do know, and you can confirm, yes, this is this. You know, check the box. I know what the second seal is. Check the box. I know what the third seal is. Check the box. I know what the fourth seal is. Everybody knows what the fifth seal is because it's the cry of the martyrs. Okay, then check the box. You know what the sixth seal is, and then, and, and you know, when you look at all of the data, 
the prophecies, the dreams, the visions, the Joe Brandt dream from 19, what was it, 34 or 37 for crying out loud, which is clearly the great earthquake, which is talked about in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. And also uh, Ezekiel 38, I believe it's 41 or something like that. I'm not going to go hunting for it, but it mentions the great earthquake, um, you know, about four to six paragraphs into the, uh, Ezekiel 38, roughly. But you just got to hunt for it. You'll, you'll, you'll see it. You won't have to read that much of Ezekiel 38. You'll find it pretty quick. And, and if you read the whole scripture, see, if you only read the first half of the sentence, you'll miss. You have to read the whole second half of that scripture to realize that that great earthquake that happens in Ezekiel 38 is exactly the same earthquake that happened in Revelation chapter 6, which is exactly the same earthquake that was seen by Joe Brandt in his vision in 1934 or 37 or wherever it was. See, it all connects. And that's just some. I mean, that's exactly the same earthquake, the event, the double tsunami uh, event that Sarah Manet saw. Uh, you know, it, it, when you can connect all those things together, then you use the concept of what you know is right. You and you just start to fill in the blanks. You know this is going to happen. You know that is going to happen. You know this is going to happen. You know that is going to happen. When you can get the confirmations, especially when they come from multiple things. From prophecies, dreams, and visions, from actual world events that would be, you know, um, you know, uh, explicitly right in your face. There's a there's a term I was hunting for, but I don't. It slipped me. But anyway, it's it's it's. But when the more confirmations that you have from more different directions, from more different believers, from more different prophecies, from more different visions, from more different dreams, from more different books, from more different, when it all comes together and says the same thing, that's a big win. Okay, and then you start to see how it correlates to other parts of the Bible, to other pieces, and then you can stitch them together and stuff. But look, how, how, when when you look, don't worry about the first seal. See, again, I I could have a hundred people send me emails and and he, oh that's this or oh that's that or oh that's these or oh that's blah blah blah. You know what? It, it, it's irrelevant to me. Doesn't matter. I just want to know about where are we now. Be prepared for the greatest threat. In other words, if you got six missiles heading right at you, let's pretend that you wanted to live and you didn't want to go to heaven right away for some reason. I don't understand that, but that's okay. Some people are like that. <clears throat> now, let's pretend that you have six missiles. Now, I was in the Navy, and I admit it, and I knew, I knew the guys that worked on the Phalanx uh, missile system, also known as SeaWiz which is basically rendered uh, with, with hypersonic missiles is rendered completely useless. But at the time I was in, it was the most amazing technology you could ever imagine. It could track, I don't remember the number. It was an insane number, maybe 14 targets, all simultaneously being tracked as they are heading directly toward your ship. So the radar systems that had, there are SeaWiz is there, you know, it's a, basically it was a, a you know, a, 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 a depleted uranium Gatling gun. Okay, no kidding. Uh, and, you know, it's like 3,000 rounds a, a minute. Uh, it's just amazing. And when that thing would shoot, um, you know, the rounds, it, it, you know, it, it, it would shake the whole ship, just one of them. And uh, what it could do is it could track like something like, I don't remember, like I said, maybe 7 to 14 uh, incoming targets direct toward the ship. These are missiles that are going to sink the ship. 
and it could track them all simultaneously. And the computer would it, it, it would run, you know, it just track them, and it would look at them, and it would say, okay, this one is 7.3 miles away and traveling at this, you know, uh, speed. Uh, then th- this other target, target B, is uh, you know eight miles away, uh, but it's traveling, uh, you know, slightly faster than the A target. Therefore, it becomes a greater threat. And then it says, but wait a minute, we have another target, target number C, that is heading toward the ship, and it is it is it's 20, you know, two times further away. However, it is going eight times faster than target A. So I need to, to target that one first. See, sometimes the, the thing, the threat that's, that's the closest to you isn't the biggest threat. There's a lot of things that have to be calculated. And, and that device, the SeaWiz device, had the ability to go. So, so imagine, just to try to give you a feel for what I'm talking about, because this is a pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Now, of course, like I said, with hypersonic missiles, it's meaningless because it just can't, tra- it can't track that speed. All right. It can't hit it. All right. But anyway, here's the thing. All right. So imagine you've got like seven incoming missiles or whatever that are going to try to blow up your ship. And this, what this thing would do is it would calculate which one to go after first. Because remember, it can't miss. If it misses, you're dead. As simple as that. Misses, dead. Misses, dead. Simple as that. Okay, so it can't miss. <laughs> so those guys were under a lot of pressure, let me tell you. And, and that thing broke a lot. But, um, but they kept their running. But anyway, um, but basically imagine those seven missiles coming in at, at exceedingly fast speeds, and it calculated which one's the greatest threat, second, second greatest threat, third greatest threat, fourth greatest threat, fifth greatest threat. It knows exactly. And then it just goes after them. It goes, and when I'm doing, when I'm making those sounds, that's the actual Gatling gun shooting the, the, the 30, 30 millimeter depleted uranium shells, which are pretty evil. But anyway, uh, and 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 every time, eh, that's one missile. Eh, another missile. Eh, another missile. Eh, another missile. Eh, another missile. Eh, 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 eh. That's what it did, and it could literally take down seven, eight. It, you know, some. And and by the time it would take out, you know, the first several threats, it would already be calculating what the other threats are that are coming up up on the horizon or coming from above. And the thing could tilt in every which direction and and had, you know, it's just amazing. Now, that's what I do with the Bible. I look at it as threats, threats to the believers. That's how I look at everything. Okay, in other words, if it is a threat to a believer to miss the barley harvest, you know, to some degree, and and what, what could that threat entail? Well, and I see I'm running out of time already, that threat could entail things such as not receiving the greatest possible rewards in heaven. That's a threat. You, you want to receive the greatest rewards in heaven, but you want to do everything out of love. So you have to have your priorities in order. If it doesn't come from love, then you're not going to get – there's no rewards with it. I know it's tricky, but I've talked about this bazillion, I don't even know how many times, but that's covered in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when Paul was talking about, you know, it, it profits you nothing. If you do any of these things, even give your life, your body to be burned, all your money to, to Jesus, but you don't do it because of love, it profits you nothing. What he mean? The word profit was used to help you understand this is about your heavenly reward which you may not think are all that important right now, but just imagine how important they, they're going to be later. I right, praise God. All right. And, and uh, you know, again, I, that, that's a whole, I could do four hours teaching on just heavenly rewards and, and inheritance and everything. And it is absolutely amazing. And it is incredibly important, but 
a lot of the rewards that we receive are, are, are what are our actions and our prayers and what we do here on earth. All right. Now, so using common sense, critical thinking skills, process of elimination, it, right here, it says the second seal, conflict on the earth. Okay. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery and red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, that people should kill one another, and, to, and there was given to him a great sword. Now, I just find it a little too coincidental that the horse is red, and the Russian army is known as the Red Army. Could God be that awesome that he would make it like, wow, could this be it kind of thing? I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. But you know what? Here's the thing. One of the reasons why I, I believe that if, it just, if that was just floating around in the, in the biblical ether, okay, on its own, with no, no, nothing else around it to give it, to, you know, to confirm it. Because, because when you go to the third seal, you see, and you open up the third seal, and the third living creature said, come and see. And I looked, and behold, there was a black horse and sat on it. You know, he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand, which has to do with money. And I heard a voice in the middle of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages, a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. Harm the oil and the wine. Ooh. That's the bride. So she's still here on earth at the end of the third seal or at the point that the third seal where we can say, yep, it is all, you know, right now we have all the threats, you know, and that's where I'm going to lead directly into the audio bite that I have queued up for tonight's program because I want you to just, you know, get a feel for some of this stuff. Okay, praise God. So let me just go ahead and hit play on this. This is one from, uh, again, a one, one from Glenn Beck. He's doing a real good job keeping on top of, uh, I think, the, the world's greatest threats. Now, um, you know, not everybody gets every little thing, and, and none of us, you know, it, this is God. This, this is our Father. Our Father's perfect timing, and the prayers of the saints do matter. But I just don't believe that we can pray away the book of Revelation. I don't think we can pray, pray away the Olivet Discourse, <laughs> okay? You know, but what we can do is a miraculous, amazing, and save a lot of souls, and that's exactly what Jesus, Jesus is counting on us to do. Praise his name. All right, so listen to this, Glenn Beck. Telling you that um, what is coming is, as Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan Chase uh, said yesterday, he has said in his quarterly reports that storm clouds are gathering. He changed that yesterday. He said, these aren't storm clouds. This is a hurricane. You That's better bad. batten down the hatches. A hurricane, a financial hurricane is coming. And it only makes sense. You cannot have this country paying six and seven dollars a gallon for gasoline. You cannot have a transportation sector that runs on diesel fuel that is paying six, seven, eight, ten dollars a gallon for diesel. It doesn't hold. You can't have food, as the USDA said yesterday, that take all of the inflation from the last two years 
and double it. And that's what you'll be facing in September or October. That's the USDA. So, gosh, that sounds like a crisis, doesn't it? Sounds like an energy crisis. Sounds like a food crisis. A climate crisis. You know, climate, that's this generation's World War II. It's an existential threat. It's an emergency. A money crisis, as your dollar is just devalued more and more. There'll be a housing crisis. People won't be able to live in their houses. What to do? What to do? Homelessness crisis. Uh, I mean, I just have to throw this in because I don't even know what it means anymore, but you know they will say that there's an infrastructure crisis, that we have to upgrade our infrastructure because it's an emergency. I don't even know what it means. Most likely it means just funneling that money to Biden children. There's going to be a crime crisis. There's a shooting crisis, an emergency in every place but Chicago. It's an emergency. You don't think it could happen. Let me give you two things. Australia's parliament, South Australia's parliament, has just declared a climate emergency, which they say now with the formal declaration of a climate emergency, the focus from the state government must be on building our state's capacity to tackle the emergency ahead of us. Now, the conservatives in Australia are like, yeah, but you haven't taken just common sense measures. You haven't done things that, right? Does that sound familiar? In Seattle, because they're now so woke, they've stopped investigating all rapes because they were reimagining the police and they don't have enough police to go find the rapists. So if you've been raped in Seattle, ah, eh, don't call us. It's all headed toward national emergency. And I urge you to look up the executive orders. I urge you to look at how every single um, uh, cabinet uh, member has changed the administration and what they oversee to all regear towards justice and equity and climate emergencies. Everything. You know, People assume, and this is a really important thing to understand, because people always say, oh, people voted for Hitler. No, they didn't. One third did. Yeah, well, he was a dictator. No, he wasn't. At least he didn't start that way. He rose to power legitimately. And he cobbled together a coalition because people didn't take him seriously. They were like, ah, he doesn't really mean that. He didn't take power he was handed power, and they kept the existing constitution. There wasn't a civil war. There was just a dual state. There was the state under the constitution, and then Hitler became the legal head of the government. He was appointed by the president of Germany. He'd be the last chancellor of the Weimar Republic. After that, well, he had to do some things, and he admitted that he had done wrong, and he admitted that he had broken the Constitution. But he, 
you know, he had to go at night and round up all those people and kill them because there was a plot against the government. And he'd do it again. And if that meant he couldn't be, you know, in his role as chancellor, that's okay. Well, he felt so bad about it, he decided to go with Fuhrer instead of chancellor. This allowed him to set up the concentration camps, to turn Europe into hell, and nearly destroy the entire world in the process. They had a constitution. It was written in 1918. It was a shining example of liberalism and democracy. Article 48 of the Weimar Constitution, uh, unfortunately, gave the president emergency powers Listen close. It allowed the president to declare a state of emergency. Listen close. In case public safety is seriously threatened or disturbed, the Reich president may take the measures necessary to reestablish law and order, if necessary, using the armed forces. It goes on to say, in the pursuit of this aim, he may suspend civil rights described in the Constitution partially or entirely. Hmm. Around the same time the German Workers' Party was founded in a hotel in Munich, six months later, Hitler joined. In less than a year, the German Workers' Party became the National Socialist Workers' Party, otherwise known as the Nazis. I think we should call them the National Socialists Workers' Party. 1923, heel, uh, on the heels of an economic crisis, Hitler attempted to overthrow the Bavarian government. A couple thousand Nazis marched through the middle of Munich. The whole thing was a failure. Hitler went to jail. It was over. Except he had a good friend, Ernst Hansnagel. When police arrived, because he had escaped and he was saying, staying in some Bavarian village, Hitler swore he'd kill himself. Unfortunately, that didn't happen because his friend's mom talked him out of it. He spent five years in prison. He uh, wrote Mein Kampf. And then his good friend, who had a lot of connections and lived in America for a while, introduced him to important people because, see, he had friends like Franklin Roosevelt, Charlie Chaplin. He connected Hitler to political power. When the Great Depression came, that was the emergency that Hitler needed because he would restore their spirit. He would restore their national pride. He would feed the people because he knew who the bad guys were that caused all this. Only thing missing, only thing missing once he became chan chancellor, was, I don't know, something, something they could rally the people around. Well, they found it. A Dutch communist, still we don't know the truth, but take it as fact, a Dutch communist set fire to the Reichstag. That's like flying an airplane into the Pentagon. Well, Hitler knew. He knew he had to declare an, er an emergency. You know, you can't let a crisis go to waste. 
So the official name of the emergency was the decree for the protection of the people and the state. Notice it was for their safety and protection. That's how Hitler rose to a dictator, perfectly legal. It was for the people's safety and protection. Everything that was in the Constitution, it still remained. As soon as the emergency you know, was, uh, was over, then we returned to that Constitution. Yeah, freedom of speech, freedom for public assembly, even habeas corpus, they'd all come back. But right now there's an emergency, and it's forcing us to do these things. By the way, he never repealed the decree. He kept Germany in a state of emergency for 12 years, the entire 12 years of the Third Reich. In times of crisis, the struggle to know the truth becomes violent for no reason. These are the times of crisis. And America, you should know, crisis is around the corner. Do you trust the administration? Because it could be anything. It could be a right-wing guy setting fire to a Reichstag. It could be a left-wing guy blamed on the right. It could be a financial emergency, whatever it is. But the one they're betting on, for sure, is a climate emergency. Just remember, when you have national emergencies, as I thought we all learned with COVID, but that's not been moved in the states. No states are taking that up and saying, never again. So what do you think they're going to do next time? Nobody's risen up and said, stop it right now. The gap between a republic or a democracy and a dictatorship, it's really not as wide as we thought. All right, hold on just a second. <laughs> I had a gizmo and a gadget here. Breakdown. And... Okay, I don't want to hear Tucker Carlson. The next one I want to play for you while I am working on this gizmo. All the stuff. I need to replace the entire studio. Hallelujah. Uh, thank you, Jesus. But anyway, I wanted you to hear that first. And uh, it's very important because um, he, I think he did an outstanding job um, uh, bringing out the most critical of the um, uh, Hitler rise to power facts. Uh, and why is that important to us? Well, be, well uh, the most important thing that he said in the entire collection of information, hold on just a second, I'm screwing a, a gizmo on a gadget and then a gadget on a gizmo. And if I don't do that, then every time I, I uh, okay, hold on, flipping around here. There we go. All right, back in, okay, praise Jesus. All right, so so the point is emergency declaration. We saw what happened with Trudeau, Trudeau in, in, in Canada during the trucker thing, right? He declared, you know, emergency declaration, emergency powers act. So basically what we have is all these countries, including the United States of Babylon the Great, lined up with these provisions, legal provisions, to establish emergency declarations or emergency powers. And once that happens, now, you know, they may not say martial law. But it is. But it is. And 
My point is simply this. We are slightly less than six months away from the midterm elections. We have some of the darkest, creepiest, most satanic entities in power of this country than has ever happened in the history of the world, to the best of my knowledge. What is behind, we could go on and on and on, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to move forward because I've got other things I want to share with you tonight. I just wanted you to hear the history because that strategy is precisely what is currently being executed at this time. Okay, all we need, to Glenn Beck's point, and <laughs> to my point many, many times, is a Reichstag of, stag, stag event, a crystal knocked, something big enough to allow them to implement an emergency declaration, which is essentially just cancels everything, and it allows whoever's in power to become a dictator. And we don't even know what's in NSD uh, National Security Directive Number 51 for the continuity of government. So, I mean, you can only imagine, and I know what I think is going to happen, right? It has a lot to do with this fellow here. So I'm going to play this clip. And by the way, this is interesting because it's, it's, it's one of the – it's just a humongously popular tweet on Twitter – and it's uh, the person puts a little tagline in here before, before they put the video up. They say it's almost like, well, almost like he knew what the plan was. That's a little comment in regard to the Antichrist. I, I'm sorry, I, I meant Obama. Flood a country's public square with enough raw sewage. You just have to raise enough questions, spread enough dirt, plant enough conspiracy theorizing that citizens no longer know what to believe. Once they lose trust in their leaders, in mainstream media, in political institutions, in each other, in the possibility of truth, the game's won. Flood a country's public square with enough raw sewage all right, praise God. So you heard him say it. The, you know, basically, he, that is his little, one of his many, many uh, little evil diatribes uh, where he's, you know, essentially impeaching himself as being a, you know, the puppeteer behind the takedown of the United States, which, by the way, lines up surprisingly well with the Walu prophecy of 19, I think it's 1918, which says that, uh, that it's also known as the Son of Kenya prophecy. And it says that a son will rise up from Kenya, take power of the United States. I mean, how unlikely was that in 1919 right okay will take power in the united states and ultimately orchestrate its destruction yeah oh that one there gets a big red check all right thank you jesus hallelujah all right and on that note let's go ahead and move through the rest of the um uh, uh news uh quickly and then we'll bring on um uh, brother gary wayne uh praise jesus all right here we go Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's not normal. It's just wrong. Uh, it's not normal. This is disturbing. <laughs> Game over. 
All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And, oh, I wonder why. Oh, I know why. All right, praise Jesus. All right, here we go. I'm just going to go ahead and, uh, I actually have to, anyway. All right, hold on. Hit the coupon button. Do not do subscribe and save, one-time purchase, and buy now. Hallelujah. There's a particular gadget that I need replaced uh, for the radio show, like Pronto. And if I don't, if I forget, for any reason, I forget to get this. <laughs> We're going to be in big trouble on the next radio show. So I had to place that order immediately. All right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, let's blast our way through the headlines because they all line up. All right, praise God, thank you, Jesus. And uh, this was interesting. I think uh, I just couldn't refuse. I could. I couldn't. I couldn't hold up, hold back. I had to bring it to the show. So Elon Musk, and this is all over Blaze Media, which is it's all over the place. And Elon Musk comes out and creates a stir. He's been doing a lot of that lately on Twitter. And um, you know, I find it fascinating because the things that he's saying publicly are. Um, they almost imply that, he's, that he is not part of the evil empire, the global satanic crime syndicate, because he keeps saying things that are anti-global uh, satanic crime syndicate. And one of those is this. He came forward and he said he said an intriguing question about Jeffrey Epstein and Grizzlane Maxwell, the media and the Department of Justice. And basically he said he said. Uh, uh, I'll just read the whole thing. One of the top trending topics on Twitter on Saturday was Jeffrey Epstein, uh, was Jeffrey Epstein. Musk uh, set the trending topic ablaze when he tweeted a question about the deceased convicted pedophile. First of all, he isn't none of the above. He's he's living a good life right now, wherever it is. They take the people that they fake kill. But that's a whole other story and you know, whatever. But anyway, he goes on to say, he says, only thing more remarkable than the Department of Justice not leaking the list, the list of people that were on the, you know, Grizzlane, Maxwell, Jeffrey and Epstein list, you know, the evil black book, uh, is that no one in the media even cared, Musk wrote. And then he asked the question, doesn't that seem odd? Well, not to Glenn Beck. Nothing happens. Nobody goes to jail. Nobody pays for a thing anymore. Next headline up. I praise God. Uh, this was uh, also taken off of Twitter, um, but um, very, very noteworthy. And, um, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see if it actually comes to pass. And it kind of all thing. If you understand all the different dynamics that are going on in the supply chain and the culling of chickens, the poultry prices going through the roof, dog food going to insane levels, uh, the effect of, uh, you know, uh, escalated uh, energy costs. I mean, remember that every single thing in every single factory, every everything is this all dependent on, on, on energy. And so, of course, those energy costs have to be transferred into the final cost that you pay at the cab register. Right. Well, this report here says get ready for. One dollar per egg. Now, uh, <laughs> one of the listeners who knows that I, you know, live and die by, I don't want to say that, live and die, but um, knows that I'm really big on super low carb ketos, ketosis. Is, you know, I can't get into ketosis to save my life. And I, 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 I know what, but I, I'm not going to get into that. 
$1 per egg. And by the way, uh, it says it says it's a USDA forecast, okay? So this is an amazing thing, and it, again, it aligns up perfectly with the third seal. So look, when you when you can say, hey, I see all the things that are associated with the third seal, and it's just absolutely astonishing, mind-bending. Words cannot describe how, a, wow, it is just wow. When you read the third seal and it talks about barley and wheat and barley and wheat, and really when you think about it, one of the biggest things out there that everybody's chitter-chattering about all over, the, all the economists, the J.P. Morgans of the world, and all this kind of stuff, a lot of it you know, tracks its way back to the Ukraine dynamics and the grain and all that kind of stuff. When it, but you know what? The climate change thing, which is associated with Planet X approaching the Earth, which, of course, there, nobody's going to talk about that, okay, but, which is – and really, considering the state of the, the mind, the state of mind of the average human – it's probably best they don't talk about it, okay? Because if you think about it, you know, folks are out there killing each other for over stuff that's a whole lot less consequential than Planet X and its, uh, you know, five to seven uh, planets, uh, you know, orbiting around it and all that other stuff and the second suns and all. So anyway, so uh, all things considered, you know, maybe they shouldn't say a word. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Uh, Yahoo News, which is about as evil as they get, uh, they report the United States Department of Defense announces the 101st units to deploy to Europe now. All right, and it, and it goes on, it gives you all the details of the brigade and the combat back team and 101st Airborne Division. Blah, 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 blah. I'm just only reason I wanted to bring this up. I'm not drawing any conclusion because this is one weird dynamic we got going on in the world right now, but. <clears throat> I am unaware of any time that the United States has sent the 101st Airborne anywhere as a threat. I'm just going to leave it at that. All right, next next headline up. Hallelujah. All right, White, White House to set a date for COVID vaccination of babies. They're coming for you little babies. Next one up. Russia named the world's top wheat exporter. The country has become the number one supplier uh, to the global market, according to what, you know, but, but it, it's, it's the truth. They, of course, they say, according to what Putin says, you know, they always, there's always that, you know, slur that's baked in there, you know, so that they can try to imply that the man is evil because he was wiping out Nazis that were slaughtering Russian-speaking people living in the Donbass, which is absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, we're all sitting there, you know, slurping down our Budweiser's and going, hey, tell me some more lies. That really looks convincing to me. But anyway, people are starting to wake up, and even some mainstream media outlets out there are starting to say, wait a minute, this isn't looking, but that's okay. Daily Dollar Short. Hallelujah. Next one up. All right, next headline says Putin meets with the African Union leaders who agree that Russia were uh, <clears throat> that Russia working to open up export corridors for grain blocked by Kiev and western sanctions. So basically, uh Putin is you know very very aware that the sanctions are going to severely hurt and starve to death many many people and so he's actually on kind of like a world tour right now trying to go and, and set up trading agreements so that he can get these countries grain which is like 10,000 times more noble and godly than anything that exists in this country right now. Ugh. But that's okay. We'll all just go ahead and wave flags and run up and down our churches. And hallelujah, hallelujah, praise you. You know, there's nothing wrong with praising God, but, but being ignorant of 
world dynamics to the point of, you know, it's, it's just not okay. It's just not okay. And the people in, if you know, it, it, anyway, <laughs> okay. Next one up. Hallelujah. I beg India to reconsider weed export ban, says International Monetary Fund chief. So basically India and folks, you know, they do have a caste system of government. And yes, it is vast. They, the poor are some of the poorest in the world. The rich are some of the richest in the world. There's a lot of evil in every country, yes. But I will tell you this. The people – India is a very, very hyper-intelligent country. The people that live over – and oh, my gosh. So let me tell you something. When they're pulling back their weed exports, they're doing it for a very, very good reason. And it isn't just baked-in selfishness, if you know what I mean. All right, so that should be alarming in and of itself. Hallelujah. Next one up. World War for Bread is underway, according to Italy. Coups for terrorism threatens Africa, and the conflict of Ukraine does not end soon, Rome warns. And it goes on to explain this, that, and the other things happening, and this one thing leads to another. And it, you know, basically this particular guy, which, you know, his name is DiMario, or, or DiMaggio, uh, uh, is, is essentially saying that, you know, Bread, wheat could be the catalyst for World War III, which, by the way, uh, the way, way uh, the Antichrist is running things, uh, it's quite possible. All right, next thing up, grain prices fall after Putin pledge. Okay, so again, Putin comes out and says, hey, I got tons, tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of grain. I got wheat. I got barley. I got everything you could ever want. I, and, and then he comes out, and when he tells the entire world that, hey, listen, I got, I, I'm opening up the port to Mariupol. We're ready to ship it. And, of course, if, if one of their gigantic barges pulls in, you know, or whatever you call them, it, 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 oh, wow, okay, no, 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 I can't, I can't take that call. Um, I'm trying to get a freezer fixed in the house, and, of course, the appliance company wants to call me at 8 o'clock at night. Are you kidding me? Uh, but anyway, uh, oh, thank you, Jesus. All right, but um, guess what? So, so Putin comes out and tells everybody, I got plenty of grain for everybody. I'm opening up the ports and this and that and the other thing. And the commodities price for a bushel of uh, uh, wheat drops way down. I mean, a very substantial. I mean, it went from like $10.40 for a bushel to like $7.27 per bushel, just at the promise of the grain availability. But who will stop it? Who will stop it from happening? Who will make more sanctions to make absolutely sure that people starve to death instead of receiving the grain? I don't give Biden credit for anything because I think he's just a walking shell of a drug-induced it's Obama. Every swinging bit of this is coming from the, the, the World Economic Forum, uh, the Rhodes Roundtable, the House of Windsor, all the creepy, weird entities that Brother Gary Wayne is warning us about. Hallelujah. Next one up. Massive job losses feared in Austria without Russian gas. So Austria came forward and said, hey, we're, we're, we're taking the Russian gas. We're going to take the Russian gas, this, that, and the other thing. But then they cut off one of the uh, supply lines or something. I, I, don't, I don't remember where, but I think the supply line was cut off. It has a name. It's like Gastron or something like that. Uh, that that's a, you know, it was evidently in the Ukraine. <laughs> so essentially, the Ukraine is cutting off the gas that Austria said. You know, Austria basically thumbed its nose at the West and said, I'm not going to play along with that. Forget that. Our people are going to starve. We're going to die. We're going to freeze to death. And I'm not playing that, that gate, whatever it is you're 
apocalyptic end game. Well, guess what? You got, the LNG got cut off on on its way through on its way in transit. Okay, so hopefully they're able to overcome that problem before it becomes too late. Because Austria is not exactly a warm country in the winter, if you know what I'm talking about. Praise God, thank you, Jesus. Next one up: 18 major airlines, FAA, then and the Department of Transportation to be sued. COVID vaccine mandates. Hold on a second. Glenn Beck has something to say. Nothing happens. Nobody goes to jail. Nobody pays for a thing anymore. You're right, Glenn. I got to hand it to you. You really need, you swung that boy. That's a, that's a home run. I mean, even Babe Ruth is like looking at the ball in awe. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. The readout blog. Okay. And this is again, and listen to this. This is what, this is what they're projecting all over the mainstream media right now. It's a big, 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 big topic. All these creepy, weird, there are so many people, folks. I'm going to say it like it is. There are so many people that they're either being paid to be incredibly ignorant. They're either being paid phenomenal amounts of money to restate over and over again the narrative, or their brains are so teeny that if they scrape the inside of their skull, they wouldn't be able to fit enough meat inside a hollow pea. All right, not said. Why Christianity nationalism is suddenly at the forefront? Let's guess, because the Antichrist is making sure that everything that he's supposed to get and everything needs to be, Satan's going to incarnate. You watch, mark my words. We're right on the precipice of Second Thessalonians chapter 2 becoming a reality. And when that happens, look out. Praise God. Next one up, co-host on The View, speaking of hollow peas, The View blames rise in violent Christian nationalism for the mass shootings. Now, she either got a bonus of multiple millions of dollars for saying it and pretending like she didn't know the truth, or the hollow pea problem is the problem. All right, next one up. Hallelujah. Severe weather in France. Grounds flights leaves thousands without power. Now listen, the people that are, you know, climate change, climate change, emergency declaration, climate change, emergency declaration. Oh, my gosh, martial law. Um, Listen, folks, it's catastrophic climate change that Jesus said. Signs in the sun and the moon and star seas roaring. You know, and guess what? Bada bing. Once again, ding, 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 ding. Jesus is right. All right, next one up. World Health Organization, almost 800 monkeypox uh, cases detected in 27 non-endemic countries. Now, I don't know what the word endemic means. Let me see here. I have a hunch. Find endemic. I think it means countries that are not okay. regularly found amongst particular people in a certain area. Ah, yeah, it's just what I thought it meant. It means in places where it's normally never, ever found. Now, I'm not – normally, if this was normal if, – if, if, if anything was normal today, anything was normal today, and it was the original monkeypox pr- problem, yeah, it's ugly, yeah, it's terrible, so is chickenpox, but it does – as a general rule, you really got to be in some pretty bad shape for it to kill you. Okay, the, the mortality rate in, in normal monkey, but, they, but, they, but there's, there's news reports out there that they've been monkeying around with the monkeypox. So you've got a high level of likelihood of gain-of-function a- activities taking a place on that particular sickness. So that basically means that all the rules have to get thrown out. Anything that is what you would normally believe in any given sickness may not be true anymore. All right, next one up. At least 14 dead injured in the United States shooting. This is just this beyond the you, – you, 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 I don't even want to talk about the school thing. It's just I can't believe it. I uh, 
And imagine Psalm 91. I don't how far into Psalm 91 are we? Probably not very far at all. Definitely wouldn't want to read that one before I go to bed tonight. <clears throat> thousand my left, ten thousand my right. After setback, the World Health Organization agency is working on a far-reaching amendment to the global medical rules, which of course we're going to sign up so they can say, oh, you know. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to, like, you know, have a mask surgically implanted on your face permanently and talk like Darth Vader until you die. And that's just how it is because the WHO is in charge. We, we, I'm sorry. We can't do nothing about it. We can't do it. Hey, so we, we're part of the treaty. Emergency declaration. Putin warns Ukraine against long-range missiles. Did they give – if he starts getting, if he starts sending missiles over toward Moscow, oh man, uh, fill in the blanks. Lebanon warns against any Israeli ag- aggression in disputed waters. All this stuff is just breaking loose. Joe Biden evacuated from beach house uh, after aircraft enters the air, is airspace. <laughs> uh, it's probably Hunter, dry, you know, flying a you know a little beach craft, you know, totally drunk, you know, three. Three fists of whiskey into the wind. He's like, hey, let's go away the dad. Uh, it just keeps on going on. PRC could starve United States military industrial complex of its ability to build weapons in one move. I've been talking about this a lot. Why? Because they control rare minerals everywhere. Uh, it just keeps on going. Evil and deadly dozens killed in a Nigerian uh, church attack. This is horrible. This is absolutely, absolutely horrible, 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 horrible. And you go, well, you know, that kind of stuff's been going on in Africa for a long time, this, that, and the other thing. Well, well, guess what? Next headline. United States, three dead in Iowa church shooting following a Biden gun speech. Hmm? And then, of course, the wildfire threat is now ramping up. We've got wildfires going crazy all over uh, different places in Europe. We're probably going to start to see some of them breaking out in uh, the west coast of the United States, Babylon the Great. Uh, You know, we've got North Korea really getting frustrated because nobody's paying them any attention. And you don't want to do that. They want to be paid attention to. And uh, now they fired eight missiles because there was a South Korea-U.S. naval drill going on. So it wasn't enough to do one missile, and now they're firing like bunches of them. Hey, 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 pay attention to us. We're going to blow you up. And sooner or later, they are. I wonder if it's going to be the Helder Skelter sister that does it. I don't know. Somebody's going to. But anyway, it's coming. We know. Prophecies, dreams, and visions. There's way too many of them. We know that North Korea is going to strike and, and sink in the United States aircraft carrier. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Explosions rock Ukraine's capital of Kiev. My whole life I grew up and it was always Kiev, but now it's Kiev. Okay, whatever. Uh, overlapping highly contagious COVID subvariants are spreading fast in Florida. Oh, my gosh. Somebody please surgically implant, uh, you know, a, a Darth Vader mask on my head so I'm protected. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, let's go ahead and bring on live uh, Brother Gary Wayne. Praise Jesus. Here we go. Brother Gary, are you there? I am, and uh, so happy to be back with you again tonight. And uh, really like listening to those headlines. You just knock them off every time I come oh, on. It's like, oh. Now, you know, I really didn't do as good a job as I should have. Here, hold on a second. 
the grain is running out. <laughs> How's that? Is that a little more realistic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, implanting of masks. <laughs> Where's my lightsaber? Oh, I don't, I don't get that until I go to glory. Nah, doggone it. Oh, well. Anyway, God bless you for coming on the program again. We love it when you visit the program, and and the, the, the amount of information is just absolutely amazing, accurate, overwhelming sometimes, but you're, you, you, you bring a sense of reality and congruence to a very complicated dynamic over thousands of years, and, and we're just so blessed to have you join us again, Gary. Thank you so much. Well, well, thank you. I appreciate that that intro. So, and hopefully tonight we're going to uh, connect a few no, few more dots for people as we go through some of the chapters and doing chapter thirty one tonight in the Genesis six conspiracy: how secret societies and the descendants of giants plan to enslave humankind. And chapter thirty one in the book is called "Forging the Nation of Destiny," and. I chose that word destiny for for a reason because, and as I've talked about in some past shows, is that you know as Christians we have to we have to choose God and Jesus every day of our life and sort of throughout the whole day. It's just just something that you know we need to sort of understand. So destiny involves choice, and so just as we would like to fulfill our destiny and not have our names blotted out from the book of life it's not sealed everything is based on what we do and so we can leave our names in the book of life or not it's our choice and so when we talk about the nation of destiny israel and and at the time of their creation in in egypt and the time of the exodus this is the nation of destiny that has to choose god and it's a very, very sort of interesting kind of dynamic that's going on here, particularly in the beginning when they're about to go into, you know, leave Egypt and go into the land of the dragon's den, so to speak, of all of the different um, Nephilim nations. And this is not going to come easily for them. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and as to uh, how this is very, very important to understand this story and understand the accuracy of the creation of the nation of Israel and the accuracy and the validity to the Exodus story and then the conquest of the covenant land. The Bible has set down a history that is frightening once you get by the veils and obscurity that has been put in place over the last few hundred years. Um, by current theologians and, and people who tend to ch- teach prehistory uh, or uh, and not well, I might add, in, in the churches today, and they certainly don't talk about prophecy. But once you pull back that veil and you deal with the supernatural nature of what the whole process of the Adamites being created for the resolution to the angelic rebellion, then things start to make sense. And the supernatural nature, you allow sort of come through and things start to make some sense. And so the formation of Israel is sort of part of that plan that God already always had to resolve the angelic rebellion through free choice. 
and this is going to be Israel's free choice. And so when we look at um, what seculars talk about in terms of the Exodus, or what polytheists might refer to it, they take a whole different flavor on the Exodus and whether or not Israel was ever in Egypt than what the Bible does, because they don't want to give the Bible credit for anything, and they're always trying to dismiss it and relegate it into the dustbin of irrelevant books. But the problem is, is that it is accurate, and that's the reason why they really want to do it. It's not that they're trying to do anybody a favor. They're trying to lead people into destruction and not have them leave their names in the book of life that was created before creation. So historians and theologians tend to dismiss um, not only the exodus as being real, and they also will dismiss and overlook any references to the spurious offspring of the fallen angels, which are the Raphaim and the Nephilim, the Nephilim typically before the flood and the Raphaim after the flood, both giants, and it's the Rephaim giants that uh, the nation of Israel is going to have to deal with, um, at least for the most part. And there's also this sort of what I would call designed effort to reinvent Israel as being polytheists, and that they were never really sort of rooted in monotheism, that monotheism is a rogue element that came into um, the polytheist religion, and that they were also not, um, you know, a distinct sort of nation. They were just sort of part of the Canaanites, and that the whole Exodus story in having the nation sort of grow into a nation in slavery in Egypt is just part of that sort of mythos of the monarchy to sort of upgrade and, and give it that sense of uh, distinction and royality and mystique. So you have this constant misinformation, disinformation, lies, and um, all sorts of attacks to try and take away the credibility of the Bible and the Exodus and Israel are a couple of those those focal points that they like to to focus on. And because the Bible is written in a way that sort of doesn't always talk about Israel or uh, the reactions that Israel does or some of the things Israel did or the patriarchs. Uh, they 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 look at them and record them in sort of an accurate historical kind of manner, and that means it's going to show the good and the bad. And the polytheists and the seculars will try and use that as wedges. But what God wanted to do is He wanted us to have the full record so that we would have a full understanding, and and to know that there's trials and tribulations, and no matter what generation that that you live in. So when we look at um, what's going on with Israel. They are a nation that is going to grow up in the uh, slave state sort of status within the nation of, of Egypt. And this is very, very, very important to understand. 
because Egypt is the first of the beast empires and the beast empires of prophecy. And so when you look, when you look at Revelation 17 and you look at these seven kingdoms, which includes the last kingdom and then the eighth, which is the Antichrist kingdom that comes um, and usurps power through the ten kings, giving him their power for a short time, which is the three and a half years of the of the last seven years, then you understand that the beast empires are going to play not only an important role throughout the whole world's history, but an intimate relationship with Israel all the way through. And so all of the beast empires, and it doesn't matter whether it's Syria or Babylon or the Persian Medes Empire or the Greek Empire or the Roman or the end time empire of ten kings and then the Antichrist Eighth Empire, they will have an intimate relationship with Israel for good or bad. Uh, mostly bad uh, throughout history, but it is part of how everything is to be resolved. So we need to understand that the beast empires are something that we have to have to fully understand and so what happens is is when his sons to um to egypt uh they are going to stay there for over 400 years and he's actually going to have jacob's going to have um you know the sons that are actually numbered um, with Israel um, as 70, which is the same number as the patriarchs in the Table of Nations in Genesis 10 and First Chronicles. And what we understand from Deuteronomy 32 is that that would be the same number of sons as an Adam. So there's a significant sort of consistency to to, to this number of, of 70, but that's that's a bit of a different rabbit hole that we're not going to go down tonight. But understand that they went there as a very small group of people and grew into a nation, but a nation of slaves as they were um, interned, you know, partway through that 400 years and, and to build, you know, monuments and whatever uh, that the empire wanted to have them. And so this is, this is kind of required if you think about it. You have, you're going to create a nation. God's going to create a nation, and he wants them to be able to grow up. And he permits that within the first beast empire to become that nation. It's actually protection to not to be wiped out from the face of the earth because the Egyptians need the slave labor to do the jobs and the work that they need, and which is why they're going to be very, very reticent to let Israel go at the time when Moses comes back. And all of this is sort of the backdrop to what is about to to unfold. And when we look at Israel and how they would have been sort of interacting, what their culture would have been in terms of being inside Israel, one would like to think that they kept this long-standing upholding of the things that were taught by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then on to the, the 12, 13 tribes of Israel, and that this was all sort of kept ongoing, but 
that's that's never never the case and when you're immersed in polytheism you have to understand that Israel was not strong in their monotheist monotheistic faith and I open a chapter of chapter 31 with a verse um, for the forging of the nation of destiny and it's from the book of Exodus and I'll be talking a little bit um, more about it in, in a couple of minutes, Ex- Exodus 32, verses 3 and 4, and I'll just quickly read it. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. And fashioning it with a tool, they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And this was natural for them to do when there was any sort of stress. This was how they're brought up as, as the influence of polytheism and how easily they, they went back to that even after they had been freed and even after God had performed all of these miracles on the behest of Moses to free them and including destroying the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. But that's because that that faith had not been forged yet and they weren't ready to take a hold of their destiny and but this was the nation that had been raised as as a nation of 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 slaves for over 400 years and within the polytheism of egypt and the egyptian polytheism is the second leg to the two centers of polytheism in the early post-diluvian period with uh, Nimrod and his descendants after Babel staying in Sumer, staying in Shinar, and developing the Magi, and that's the first pillar. And between the Magi of Mesopotamia and the priests of Egypt, these are the two polytheist religions that are going to spread all the religion around the world, the Egyptian having the most influence around the Mediterranean, and with the religion of Babel and Mesopotamia moving into India and then moving into China and then all throughout Southeast Asia. And of course, at the dispersion of of Babel, you have a polytheist religion that's being spread around the world as well. But these are the two epicenters that are going to perpetuate that and continue to have influence over all of the nations of the world. And into this world, into the sea of Gentile polytheism is this little island of monotheism that Israel is going to be brought into, uh, shark-infested waters to sort of carry on the the analogy, so to speak. And so polytheism is more natural to Israel at this point in time than, than uh, monotheism is. And most of them had probably fallen away and had given up hope that they would be saved and that uh, Jacob's uh, faith in and belief in God was probably misplaced. This probably would have been quite common because of all of the sufferings for over 400 years that they had suffered in in Egypt, not to give them sort of a uh, bad life, but to ensure, God wanted to ensure that this nation was going to be raised up in numbers enough to do what it was going to need to do. And that was the place to do it. That was the embryo. And so 
many of them might, might not even look favorably upon Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Um, and I can, I can fully sort of understand that. And even when Moses comes back, I mean, he's not going to be fully accepted. I mean, A, there's going to be a suspicion. Yes, there's going to be sort of prophecy rumors that there's going to be this deliverer and it is going to be Moses, but he's the one who was raised by the pharaohs. And as the story goes, and as we're told in the Bible, I mean, he's adopted into it, but he's adopted into the complete organizational structure of the pharaohs and the royal society. And so he's going to be educated at Heliopolis, and he's going to be initiated into the mysteries. He's going to swear oaths to the polytheist gods. And this is going to seem natural to him being brought up into that. And so Moses is raised a polytheist and worshiping the polytheist gods and understanding the language of that religion, the language of power quite well. And this is going to serve him well when he comes back because he's going to be able to communicate exactly the way he wants to communicate, even though he's not of fluid speech, but he knows the language and he knows the symbolism. And so when he's talking with the authority of God and delivering the message to Pharaoh and this priest, he's talking their language. There is no misunderstanding what Moses has said because he's an adept or he was an adept before he becomes converted. And when you understand that before the burning bush and before his exile, that he was this way, it makes a lot of sense in terms of what the New Testament says about Moses in, in Jude 1 verse 9, where there was a fight over uh, Moses's body after Moses, Moses died. And Satan is trying to claim what he thinks is his. And from a worldly, physical world perspective, with Satan being the god of this world, that would make some sense because he has sworn his oath to them. It's like the, you know, the bargain with the with with the devil, and and he's there to collect. And we get a sense that that whole ideology has some legality to it and some truth to it because there is Satan trying to take the just, you know, take Moses just after his death. But Michael is sent by God, and Michael's going to rebuke through God Satan. And. Michael's not going to permit that to happen because God is the omnipotent God and he can veto anything that he wants. And he has redeemed Moses. Moses has been permitted to go through this in preparation to be the deliverer. And God has redeemed him and he has now become a complete monotheist with complete faith in God and with the word of God who he's communicating with. And so this is the individual that's going to come back but what people sort of overlook in that whole set of events is that there are some things in there that we need to understand in terms of oaths and um, that it's not that God can't veto those oaths, 
but he's going to hold everybody accountable for those oaths. And that's the thing you need to keep in mind. And so we want to be very, very careful of that. And you can bet the mark of the beast is going to be coming with an oath or the religion of Babylon is going to have an oath, you know, sort of a, uh, a, an allegiance swearing in as part of your initiation because it's all part of that polytheist ritual. So something to keep in mind for, for down the road as to what's going to be coming um, when we get closer to the last seven years, and particularly at the midpoint of the last seven years with the mark of, of the uh, with the mark of the beast, and so you have Moses now. He's coming back to Egypt, and a message that many of Israel didn't want to hear. Yes, he's the deliverer. Yes, he's still gaining his confidence and probably um, not sure how everything's going to, to unfold other than he's going to listen to God and he's doing what he's being asked to do. And here you have this nation that has been you know, fed fat with polytheism for, let's say, 400 years. And he may not have been accepted by all of the people. And certainly the Egyptians, they knew who he was. The royal family knew who he was. The priests knew who he was. But they weren't going to bow down to Moses' wishes and to the God of Moses because they believe their gods are equal to the God of the Bible. So they thought they could ward off Moses and, and the God of the Bible. And so you have... You know this whole process of all the different plagues and things that are that are going to happen, and all it's doing is starting to persuade the people of Israel because they need time. It's starting to persuade the people of Israel that there is a deliverer who can deliver them from the most powerful military economic system on the earth of that time, because that's who they're going to have to go up against to leave. And not to be, to have them come after that. And even after all of the plagues, God is going to have to step in and help Israel, and he's going to destroy the army at, at the Red Sea. And I can't imagine being part of that whole thing. It would have been interesting to certainly be there and, and to see all of these different plagues. It would have been horrific, just as the end time's going to be horrific. But to watch a process of Israel starting to come over and believe and to follow Moses and then to have the Egyptian army wiped out for them, it must have been absolutely incredible. And you would think that after all of that, that Israel would have believed and developed the faith to do the destiny that they were going to need to do to go into the land of the covenant, into the dragon's den of giants and powerful nations and inherit the land that's been gifted to them by God that's occupied by this monstrous race of warriors, of hybrids and giants that are waiting for them and have been preparing for over 400 years, waiting there for them. And they want to wipe them from the face of the earth. That's what the giants want to do. They want to wipe Israel from the face of the earth. 
And it did not take a whole lot to turn Israel back into polytheism after everything that had happened. All that happens is is that Moses goes up to the mountain and he's going to spend time with God and he's going to have the Ten Commandments that are going to be the law that are going to come down and he's preparing Moses to bring them into the Holy Covenant where they're going to swear an oath to God that he's going to hold them accountable for. An oath that is going to involve blessings and curses depending on what Israel does. And so through the blessings of the covenant, Israel prospers. But when they backslide, they're going to have issues down the road. And even during the time of the Exodus, when they try and do things without God, they get their butts whooped. And uh, it's only through this process in, in developing the faith as we're going to be able to take on, on, on this nations, the many nations of giants and hybrid giants in, in the land of, of the covenant. And so what they did after is it, that just because Moses was away for a while, they create the golden calf, which is the verse that I introduced uh, early on in, in, in tonight's presentation and is the introduction to chapter 31 where they turned all of their gold and their silver into idols and created the golden calf. And for people who may not be familiar with the Egyptian religion, it was a bull cult, just as Canaanites had a bull cult. There's a little bit different sort of branch flavor to the polytheism in Egypt. It's the Apis bull, and it's an like Apis calf, but it's still part of the whole bull cult. And that's the god that they made, and that's why after they made that golden calf idol, they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And so now they're giving the gods that they have been saved from all the credit for their safety and all the great miracles that had God had done for Israel, they are now giving credit to those gods while Moses is gone. And another thing that had happened in this very early period of time is, is and we've talked about this in shows past, is Joshua uh, is going to go in with Caleb and 10 other scouts to scout out the land of the covenant. And they're going to bring back a report that this is the land of milk and honey, but there are people there. They live in high walls, and they see the people of Anak there. And, uh, you know, we get three kings of, of Anak that are named in Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai. Uh, and what's interesting about that is Anak, uh, the Anakim, the children of Anak, the Anakim, Anak actually means um, four. Or I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. They are the descendants of a patriarch, a single patriarch giant who's not in the table of nations, and his name is Arba, and that's in Joshua 15:14. And he is the greatest of the Anak, and he is the patriarch. And so he started this tribe of giants. And so none of the Raphaim giants are in the table of nations, as we've talked about in shows past. And Arba means four. 
And so, but we only get three giants names. So a lot of people think, and I think there's something to it that, you know, Arba is the patriarch and these are the children of Anak and that Anak could also have been a giant as well. So you have the three kings of Ahima and Talmai and Sheshai and their father Anak, that would be the four kings that were ruling in the Hebron area, which was known as Kiriath Arba at that time, the city of Arba. And later it gets named to Hebron. And so Arba's name is memorialized of that patriarch in its old name. And so we get lots of sort of veracity to this. And these are the giants that are the Raphaim, because the Anakim, as in Deuteronomy 2 explains, are part of the Raphaim, part of the post-Diluvian giants. And when you see giant except for Numbers 1333 in the embellished part of the report. Um, you only have giant going back to Nephilim three times, twice in Numbers 1333 and the first time in Genesis 6-4. All other times except for one time in the book of Job where giant is translated from the word gibberim, which is the word used to describe the Nephilim in Genesis 6-4. 25 times you're going to have Rephaim, describe giants in the Old Testament and where it says giants all but 20, let's say, yeah, 23 of the 25 times where it's going to be giant, it's going to go back to the word Rapha. And the plural is the Raphaim. And the two times where Raphaim is used to make up that 25 times of usage is in Genesis 14 in the War of Giants and then in Genesis 15 in the group of nations that God is pro is is listing who are occupying the land being promised to Abraham that goes from the Nile to the Euphrates. And that's where the Raphaim show up twice. All other times, it's the word giant that goes back to, to Raphaim. And so they saw giants there. And they also saw the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, who are the hybrid giants. And these are the ones are, that are stronger and of, of great stature, as it's talked about uh, in the report, uh, that are living amongst the Raphaim, the, uh, and, in, and in this case, the Anakim. And we get verified that these people are taller than the Israelites, but, not, but also distinct from the Anakim. And the Anakim are Raphaim, not um, Nephilim. That's just the embellishment to scare the Israelites, and, and also underscores the veracity of the Nephilim giant story in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, that they embellished the Raphaim to the level of Nephilim, in indicating not only that the Nephilim story before the flood is true, and that they were well aware of it, but that they would be bigger and even scarier than the, than the Anakim, because they did not want to go into the land of the covenant. And we get the story verified um, that the accurate part that Caleb and Joshua portray is accurate versus the embellished part in Deuteronomy 1, where Moses is going to recap the story, and he's going to talk about the, 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 the Canaanites and the Amorites who are taller than the Israelites. And you, that's in Deuteronomy 1.28. And he's also going to re-underline that the children of Anak were there as well. So two distinct peoples that they were going to go up against. And there's no way after the 
the story that the scouts are telling the people of Israel that they want to go in and take on these people. As scary as the Egyptians were, now we have many nations. And even though Egypt was the most powerful um, nation on earth and God had protected them, they did not have faith in God would protect them to go into the land of the covenant. And so we have these two significant stories of lack of faith. And that what's even more disturbing is, is that God had promised them that he would fight for them and he would protect them if they believed in him and walked in his ways and kept up the covenant that they had sworn. And yet they refused to do that. And so they're not ready. Even more concerning is that God has to now make a decision. God, he knew this was all going to happen because he's Alpha Omega. But there's another test in here for Moses. And we we need to understand... Um, again, just to, to underscore the context here, Israel, all they did was is they went back to their natural polytheist belief system. And so under pressure, even though they had seen all of the miracles that God had performed for them, they were still not ready to go in faith to believe that God would always look after them because they're a ragtag nation of slaves. They were polytheists. They were going up against not just Egypt, but the whole world. And the whole world wanted to wipe them from the face of the earth. And so it makes sense why they would make the golden calf. And it makes sense why they were so afraid to go against not just the giant nations, but it would be throughout the generations. They would be going up against all the polytheist nations. And this was the destiny they had to choose, but they weren't ready for it. And I think God is also testing Moses at this point in time so that Moses is still, as we were talking about, you know, choosing God every day with all of this going on. God is indicating to Moses that he is going to destroy Israel from the face of the earth, just as what um, the polytheist giant nations wanted to do with this ragtag uh, nation that was on the move and wandering through the desert. And so... God is testing Moses as his step in his continuous step towards the person he would ultimately become. Uh, And there would be more tests for Moses down the road. But in this test, I think God was testing Moses to see, would he stand up and fight for this stiff-necked people? Because he says, I'm prepared to start all over, and I'll start with just you, Moses, and we'll do this again. And, you know, we might see a little bit different history of that happen, but ultimately the end game plan of the Messiah coming through the nation of, of, of Israel 
uh, is going to be played out anyways. But Moses steps in and says, no, no, do not do not do this, please. And he is fighting for um, Israel with God, just as he fought Egypt to bring them out. But now he's going up against God, and you have to be you have to be careful if you're going to go up against God. But at the end, I think this is exactly what God wanted Moses to do in the process of becoming the deliverer and the leader he needed to be to prepare the nation of destiny. And so he says to he says to God in in essence, don't let the enemy, don't let these nations of the earth that are led by giants and much of the population of them would be giants and hybrids that are their whole ruling class. Do not let them have the ability to say that you led them out into the desert just to wipe them from the face of the earth and that they would take that and use that perpetually as their chant, as their motto to any any upstart monotheist religion of the God of the Bible again. And Moses is arguing for them. And I think this is exactly what God wanted from Moses. He wanted him to step up and say, no matter what, they are my brethren. We are the ones that are chosen. Give me the opportunity and the time to work with them more. And that's exactly what God God does for them. And so Moses had to choose Israel and now Israel has to choose God and they have failed Israel has failed in their first tests. And so this is going to now require 40 years of discipline. And it's a number that God is going to choose because he wants to ensure that they have enough faith, that they understand the laws, that they understand that God will always provide for them if they fulfill and live by the government and walk by the by the covenant and walk in his ways. And that God also wanted a new generation that even though he had forgiven this generation, he did not want that overlapping of that generation into the generation that was going to have to take the destiny into their hands and go into the dragon's den of giants, into the covenant land, into the people that wanted to wipe them from the face of the earth to influence them in any sort of negative way. That generation had their chance. And so People are being held accountable to the oath that they swore in the Holy Covenant. And that if you're going to swear something, you have to fulfill that. And Israel did not. Uh, God is a forgiving God, but there are consequences. And the consequences are, is that generation is not going to be permitted to go into the land of the covenant, the land of milk and honey is not going to be part of their destiny, but it will be part of their descendants' destiny and and the next generation. And so 40 years, and this 40 years not only has to 
teach them the hard ways of monotheism and God and what faith is all about. But it has to be forged like steel because of what they're going to be going up against. And even after the forging, even with the next generation, they're still going to be backsliding and with descendants thereafter. I mean, you are going to have the best of the generation that's going to come forward, but they're still going to be challenged because they're still humans. And the task is going to be absolutely overwhelming. And But 40 years to forge the faith and 40 years to be prepared to take on the world and change the destiny of, of the world. And 40 years to train them into being a nation of priests set aside by God, that they were going to be alone and they only had God. And they needed to always rely on God. And that they need, needed 40 years to accept that destiny, to fully embrace it, to be ready and to choose to be the nation of destiny that is going to bring about the Messiah. That's going to bring about the resolution to the angelic rebellion. And they needed 40 years to be trained in terms of how to be a nation, how to rule themselves, how to apply those laws, how to train for becoming agrarians, how to be all the things they were going to need to be able to do on their own, because as slaves, they were there to work in whatever food they got is what they got, but they weren't responsible for doing a lot of the things that they're going to be needed to do once they take over the land of the covenant. And they needed to become warriors. As, as slaves, they weren't warriors. You know, and they had to fight the Amalekites in this time before the 40 years in, in the wilderness. And the Amalekites had, had attacked them when they were not trained for war or had the weapons of war. And it was one of those tests that they had to do to go up. And they, they passed that part of the test. And but they still weren't ready to, to go to that next level, which is why they needed that additional 40 years. And so they were going to be going up against people that were taller than them. You have the hybrids who we talked about, like the Amalekites. Uh, they would have been seven to nine feet tall as hybrids. And all the Canaanites were hybrids. And the Anakim would have been Minimum nine feet, nine inches, if you look at Goliath at the small scale, at six cubits of a span at only one and a half feet, but more like 11 feet as a royal cubit with him being a king. And as big as King Og was, who they're going to have to take on during the conquest, and even before they get into the land of the covenant, um, east of the Jordan, and they're going to have to take him on, and he's going to be somewhere between 12 and... 14 and a half feet tall based on nine cubits for the, for the bed size and length. And he would have been four to five feet wide based on it being four cubits wide. And again, he was a king. So I'm using 21 inches for, for the cubit. Just as Josephus laid down, that's how you measured the size of the giants with the royal cubit of 21 inches. 
and why it's called a royal cubit. It's a royal cubit of the royals of the Nephilim, of the Raphaim, and their descendants. And so they had to go up against these giants. And these giants just didn't have spears and axes and some swords. They had a technology that Israel did not have. They had a technology that had was being produced in facilities, permanent facilities, to manufacture these weapons as required. Israel wasn't wandering throughout the desert. They didn't have these permanent settlements. And they didn't have all of the weaponry that the giants had. So not only were there many, many nations that outnumbered Israel considerably, and not only were they larger, they had better weapons. They had horses and horsemen and chariots. They had chariot technology, which was the super weapon of that time. And there were expert horsemen as being part of the nomenclature and four branches of what the seculars would call the Indo-Aryans, which are the Raphaim, and I cover this off in detail in, in, in my in my uh, book that's going to be out uh, hopefully by the fall for the sequel for the Genesis 6 conspiracy. They were expert horsemen. They invented the chariot. This was the weapons that they used to dominate the world and, 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 and the humans shortly after Babel. And they also had a technology of making iron. And don't let the seculars tell you that iron was not even available at that time. There is iron weaponry that's been discovered with Uparts and other records from before the flood. And this is the iron weaponry that the Philistines had. This is the iron weaponry that was used throughout the Raphaim nation states. And they had not only swords made of iron, they had shields made of iron, and they had iron in the chariots. So they had all of this, and Israel was training to go up against this kind of army, overwhelming in size, overwhelming in numbers, overwhelming in weaponry. And this is what they were prepared for to to take on and why Moses is going over those details in Deuteronomy 1 and reminding them of what their parents uh, had been told, what some of them had seen, and that they were going to be moving forward from that point in time to take the land of milk and honey that was promised to them. And that they were going to war with these giants for over a generation, it was going to be perpetual war. And that they were going to continue until they had taken the land, and it was not going to come easily. And they were also told that it was not going to come quickly because God had informed them that if you take the land too quickly, you won't be able to control the land. It will become overrun with wild beasts. And so that was also part 
of the discipline and the faith that they had to have that this was going to be perpetual, all-out war for a complete generation. And it goes on and on and on with all of the different campaigns. And we'll be talking about some of those campaigns on on the next show um, because this is this is a spectacular war against innumerable amount of people against many, many kings and many, many nation states in a systematic metabolist military defensive and offensive system that was set up behind these monstrous, monstrous castles of high walls along with all of the weaponry that we've, that we've talked about. And this is what Moses is preparing them to reset themselves on, and that God is going to help them. I mean, to be able to go up against them, you're going to need, you're going to need help. And one of the things that God does, and there's a few other things that he does do, but hornets are going to be a significant weapon that God is going to deliver out in Whatever the hornets did, uh, there must have been a great number of them, or it had a specific effect on the giants, uh, and maybe on what they like to call in the occult the hive mind that the Raphaim uh, had as part of the religious system. But maybe it totally disrupted that hive sort of connection, and whatever it did, it drove them to a sense of insanity that Israel could just walk up and kill them and or if they're running in wild spasmatic ways and total panic for what the hornets are doing to them, uh, they were fairly easily um, delivered up to Israel to, to, to win, those, win those battles. And so somehow, some way, hornets were probably the key weaponry that brought down these giants and delivered them up to the people of Israel. And so God was going to look after them and he was going to do other things to help them as well. But they had to have the faith to do this continually and go up against overwhelming odds. And when they didn't do it to the letter of the agreement, they got their butts whooped even during the time of the conquest. So it's something that had, that took, 40 years to do to become that nation of destiny. And they're taking the land that God had gifted to them. And we talked about this earlier in in the show, and it's talked about in Deuteronomy 1 that Moses is, is, is talking about, to take the land that God gifted to Israel through Abraham. And this happened in Genesis 15, 16 through 18, where this land from the Nile to the Euphrates is going to have all of these, not only going to have the mighty seven that are in there, and most of the mighty seven are the hybrid nations, but there's also the Kenites, there's also the Kenizzites, there's also the, the Raphaim that are listed in there. Um, and you have these giant nations that are part of that list of the mighty 10, as I like to call them, that are listed in Genesis 15, that includes the Raphaim, which is the key for me here. Um, And this is being explained to Abraham that, you know, when the time has come about, and it's going to be 400 years as And it says in the fourth generation, the Amorite sins are going to be so great that it's going to be taken care of. 
God is being absolutely accurate on that fourth generation. Genesis 6-3, the creation of the giants, a generation is limited to 120 years. So within the 400 years, within 480 years, Israel is going to come back at the height of the Amorite sins, and Israel is going to take the land that was gifted to Israel, and that was the land reserved for God on earth. And we get that sort of listing in terms of the rights to the lands, as it's talked about in Deuteronomy 32, that the nations would have gods uh, that were going to number 70 and have lands ruled over by those gods. And one specific piece in that equation is God's land. And that's how he has the right to bequeath that to the land, to the nation of Israel, but Israel is going to have to go up against the giants who have squatted on that land. So it's amazing how we get that prophetic nature starting in the time of the giants and talking about the fulfillment of the nation of destiny beginning with Abraham and him living amongst these giants after he left the land of Ur. And so I'm hoping I give some more context around what has happened during this time in terms of the challenges and why it was so difficult for for Israel to be so accepting. It's the human nature and it was the polytheist raising that they were brought up in, but it allowed them to become a nation to be utilized and molded by Moses and God into being the nation of destiny. So thank you for your time and uh, if you want to get a hold of me and ask me any questions, you can get a hold of me at the Genesis6Conspiracy.com, Genesis6Conspiracy.com. Praise God. And um, also, uh, do you know what the title of your new book is going to be yet? I have an idea what I want it to be, and we'll see what the publisher says at the end. Um, but I want to call it the Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 2, uh, Prehistory and Prophecy. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about that. That's awesome. Praise God. Um, I, like I said, I've got to do the, uh, I got to, I got to pass my Evelyn Wood speed reading thing <laughs> to play a little game of catch up, but um, uh, just thank you so much. Always uh, Genesis six conspiracy. That is the number six, I believe, right? Genesis number six. It is conspiracy.com, right? Amen. Yep. All right. Praise God. Thank you so much, Gary, as always, for Thank joining you. us on this program. So incredibly interesting and thorough. Um, what a blessing you are, brother. I look forward to every program with you. And and, um, and I know I know the listeners really appreciate it, too. We get we get the emails and stuff and a lot of, lot of feedback. So thank you so much. God bless you for joining us. Um, and we just pray that you just have an anointed entire week is just absolutely anointed and filled with the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus. Folks, all of you for joining us tonight. We will see you Wednesday night at 7 p.m., Lord willing, especially today, if you know what I mean, Lord willing. Hallelujah. God bless you all. We'll see you then. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. Lord, we come to you with repentant hearts. We seek you with all our might. Sinners set the mercy of grace, redeemed we are by your embrace. Praise his holy name. Yes, 
praise the King of Kings. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? For you, we will endure until you come back for your bride to set her free. I shall lift my obedient children to the clouds, for they shall see my glory.